start this episode with a silly question. Maybe it's not so silly because it's a question that we all know all too well, which is, ever feel stressed? Ever feel stressed out? I mean, it's a question that almost is absurd. And yet, you know, we were meant to experience, our species was meant to experience stress in, um, in very acute ways. Like, you know, again, saber-toothed tiger must run. And the reality is so much of our times now are with stress and anxiety. These things are sort of, um, they seem like they're more available, more around us than ever before. And that is why it's, it's really important for us to do something very proactive. And that made me want to have this episode featuring Dr. Cindy Acril. She's a physician and most importantly, she's a stress expert. In addition to a bunch of other things like being a leadership coach and being super passionate about uh, connecting the dots between how humans live, behave, think, and how effective, happy, and healthy they are, which are, I mean, that's the best stuff in life, right? She's on a mission to keep distress because there are some positive stresses out in the world. They call those eustress, but Dr. Cindy's on a mission to keep distress from eroding focus, creativity, health, success, relationships, and so many other aspects, the best aspects, I argue, of life. And she's taught so many people. She's got an amazing class on creative life that I wanted to pull uh, just a couple of specific, um, what I consider to be really valuable parts of her talk, uh, specifically um, evaluating which habits are serving you, which things that you're doing in your life that are contributing stress in a bad way or are helping you work through the things and de-stress the, uh, the parts of your, I guess, day-to-day, your experience, your human experience, which are not serving you. So the next hour is going to be an hour of power. Not only does she cover habits that we need to eliminate, but how to specifically incorporate new habits that will remedy or fight or mitigate or manage stress in a gradual way. So you're not going to have to just like shift gears and go to living like a monk. That is not the end goal. You guys know me. You know that my goal in life is not to completely avoid stress. And I do not want you to have to do a 180 on your life because then that's not something that's manageable for most of us. So what Dr. Cindy covers here today does not have to be, it does not, it's not an, uh, a winner take all, or it's not a have to be an all or nothing thing. And we also cover the idea of practicing positive thoughts to rewire your brain. You know this, we've talked about this before on the show, you know, neuroplasticity, this concept that we can rewire our brain against the natural negative bias that's built into our biology as a mechanism for survival. That is something that we have to actively manage. Remember, I've always talked about this is the brain and you have to get the brain working for you. Those things that come at you, those are just thoughts, right? That's not who you are. And that's why I call it the brain, not your brain, because you are not your thoughts. You are not the stress that inhabits your body. So again, that's one of the reasons in Um, thinking of the most powerful things that I could share to help right now, the the one thing that feels nearly ubiquitous as people talk about these is incredibly stressful times. So that's why Dr. Cindy 
is going to help make this better. Now, the next hour is going to be a treat, um, and I will recommend you uh, take out take take a peek at her class on Creative Live if you want more. She's got 15 hours of this, um, and I'm just giving you some of my favorite snippets. Um, and in case you care, this class has more than 10,500 students and a 100% positive review. Um, uh, Jaka says this class is comprehensive, well organized. Um, evidence and experience base. Amazing. Thanks so much. Um, another student called Jay said, Hey, I just purchased this class a couple weeks ago. And as a former psychology major who still experiences big time procrastination, anxiety, et cetera, her class really made an impact on me with little things that are easily done by anyone. And he says he knows really well that it takes work, repetition, patterns, et cetera, but definitely recommending. So I can't wait to hear what you think. Please let me know. And I'm going to get into this week's show here with Dr. Cindy Eckerl. Hey, quick question for you before we get into the episode. Do you feel stuck by any chance? Do you feel like your dreams are, are a bit out of reach or you've got more potential with this one precious life than you're realizing today, right this moment? Well, you know what? I got an idea. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. So to that end, I wrote a book. It's a new book. It just dropped in September. It's called Creative Calling, and it became an instant bestseller when it was released this past September. Now, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect, and I mean perfect, companion because it takes the ideas we discuss here on the show, creativity, entrepreneurship, how to pursue your dreams and career, hobby, and in life, and it organizes them in a super clever and incredibly practical way that will help you take action. Richard Branson said, if you want to focus on creating amazing experiences, businesses, and relationships, then Chase's book, Creative Calling, is the engaging guide to doing just that. Brene Brown said, Chase's experiences and his commitment to creating make him the perfect guide as we set out on our own adventures to learn how creativity has the power to change everything. Now, those reviews are just the tip of the iceberg, and if you want, you can read a couple hundred more five-star reviews on Amazon. But again, this is not just about buying the book. It's not a transaction. This is about unleashing the most powerful force we have in this world, our creativity. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas we believe in. And so if you believe in this show, you believe in the work that I've done in my whole you know, lifelong career as a creator, then picking up a copy of Creative Calling would be so appreciated. And again, most importantly, it's about being a messenger for spreading this message. This is my ask of you. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And now let's get back into the show. So what's stress? Go ahead. My sense is it's a physiol, you know, it's a certain physiology where obviously we're something's, uh, I guess the breath is at a certain rate and I would assume certain kind of chemicals are in your body, but also probably if they do brain waves, there's a certain thing with your perceptions in mm -hmm. your mind. Yeah. Um, and and you're Simon jumping way into the physiology. So I'm and we're going to get through that because that's that's true. That is your reaction. That's your physiologic reaction to a thought process. And we do this to ourselves all day long. We have this concept in our minds that stress is something that happens to us. And this is the way that it is discussed in our world. The way we talk about stress, we're in conversations, it's quite often, I'm so stressed, I have a bad boss. Something is happening to us. But 
This is actually a myth. That's a stressor. Your, your boss may be a stressor, somebody who's presenting a challenge to you. But the stress is your physical and mental reaction to what you perceive is happening. And that's a really important part of the sentence. It's your reaction to what you perceive is happening. Now, if you're in a burning building, you don't need to perceive it. It's happening. <laughs> it's, there's some physical things that happen to us, but the majority of what we're talking about really does depend on perception. So whenever our, our perception doesn't meet our expectations, we feel stressed. And sometimes we need to tease down to what our expectations are because they're totally unrealistic. So we've set ourselves up to be stressed. We're also stressed whenever our balance is off. And by that, I mean our, our biological balance. If our blood sugar's low, our bodies feel stress. We're, we're designed to keep balance or what they call in biology homeostasis. We are beautiful, beautiful organisms that self-heal, that adapt when we give ourselves the space to do that. And we really haven't been doing that lately. So this is really a key point. Stress is our reaction to what's happening. And that's where we get our control. That's where we have this ability to step in and do something about it. So what I'm gonna present as I present the science of that, I want you to know I have degree after my name. This isn't rocket science. This is gonna, <laughs> I'll talk about a chemical, but this is wisdom. This is the wisdom you already know. I'm not gonna teach you anything in these days that's somewhere deep inside of you you don't know, but I'm hopefully bringing your awareness and your ability to use it back so that you've got that power back. And what I've loved about current science that's doing a lot more mind-body work is it's proving this wisdom. Isn't it cool when science proves wisdom, something we kind of knew, and science comes along and says, you know, as a matter of fact, your mind and your body are connected. Cool. <laughs> so this is a model I've come up with because, as I said earlier, our brains like models. We like to fit things into what we've already learned. We, we start with rudimentary learning and then we fit the details in. So our brains do well with a model. So your brain has this huge job out there. Its job is to keep you safe. Your brain is monitoring. It's, it's 100 billion cells sitting between your ears monitoring to see if you are safe. And it's taking in billions of bits of information all day long. Those bits of information coming from the outside world. What's the temperature? Is that car going to hit me? Those information coming from the inside world, I shouldn't have eaten gluten. <laughs> I am hot. All of those different things are, are coming in. They're filtered through your brain and your perception. And there's a little area in there called the amygdala that labels whether something is dangerous to you or not. And that's huge. Is this dangerous? If it's dangerous and the label is, you know, gets the it's dangerous stamp, then it's gonna start changing your focus. It's gonna start your emotions shifting in a different direction. And there are gonna be all these physical changes that we've been talking about. Your gut's gonna shut down. Your mind's gonna speed up. All these different things are gonna happen. And when we trigger this 
danger motion over and over and over and over and over again, day in and day out, we start compromising the normal performance that should be there, the normal repairing and adaptive behaviors that our bodies are programmed for get compromised when we're spending all of our time reacting to danger. Does that make sense? So it's, it's actually not a bad system. It's an amazing system. It's kept us safe. The tiger came, we ran. It's good. So this is, this is breaking it down a little bit. Say there's a skinny, long object in the room. And this is sort of interesting. We have a negative bias as we see that skinny, long object to assume it's a snake. Now, does that sound like a good thing that we're negatively biased? It is a good thing because it is far more important for us to assume that that's a snake than it's a snake and we assume it's a stick. Which person was going to live in the history of evolution? The person who thought, I think I'm going to err on the side of snake and get out of here? The person who erred on the side of stick? His lineage fell off. <laughs> or her lineage <laughs> fell off. So we see this object that we think is a snake. That vision goes to the back of my brain, to the visual cortex, and then immediately, because we're programmed for that image, a rudimentary version of long skinny thing, we're programmed to send that information to the amygdala. The amygdala says, oh yeah, we got snake issues here. We're gonna start the stress reaction. And so it sounds the danger alarm. And it does all of these different things. It dilates our pupils. Well, why would it do that? So I can see better. I need to see right now. I need to see where I'm going. I need to see what that is. It increases our hearing. And do you know how your dog or cat cocks their ears towards you when they, they hear something? We actually do that on the inside. We have teeny tiny little muscles that kind of rotate inside so that we can hear better. Luckily, we don't take a, some of us our larger ears and go whoop and listen. Our heart rate speeds up. The same thing people noticed when they were doing the visualization of something that's stressful. Our clotting increases. Well, why would that be important? Because if we got bitten, we want to clot off as fast as possible. You see any relationship there to heart attacks that occur after a stressful situation or strokes? We, your clotting is up. Your respiratory rate increases. You need a bunch of oxygen right then, don't you? And it's going to turn off your gut. That's why you get that weird feeling in your gut. Now's not the time to be digesting that salami sandwich. It's just not. It's, your body has another priority. And that's what this is about. This is about setting priorities to respond to danger. Your adrenal glands start to release something called cortisol. First comes out adrenaline. Adrenaline is the thing of our sympathetic nervous system that lets grandma pick up the car off of the baby. And then grandma starts shaking and has no idea how she did it. You know, we've all seen those weird news stories. That's that rush of adrenaline from which you usually crash big time. Then comes cortisol from your adrenal glands. And cortisol revs up your whole system initially to make you stronger. And this is a, really a key point for thinking about the brain. From the frontal, here's my, here's my baby brain. <laughs> from the frontal lobe of the brain up here, the blood is rerouted to your legs. 
So this whole system is prioritized to get away from danger. And when this system is triggered, all the other systems have to give up what they were doing. So if you kind of think about that, it explains a lot about how we are when we're stressed. I um, used to have a slide in here of the, the double face plant the, that came from Star Trek. But it's like the, oh, why did I do that? Because you weren't thinking. And you're not supposed to be thinking. Now is not the time to be able to do an Excel spreadsheet. Now is not the time to say, you know, I think that's the eastern rattlesnake. Hmm. No, get out of there. Get gone. And that's what the stress reaction's for. We basically have two states. We have our away state. This is something dangerous. This person is toxic. This email is toxic. We have a retreat state. Rem remember back in grade school, they'd show you the pictures of the amoeba, and the amoeba would go bloop, 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 bloop towards something, or the amoeba would go bloop, bloop, bloop away from something. We're not that different. We are going, we're deciding all day long if something should be a toward or in a way. It's a lot like thumbs upping it or thumbs downing it. We've, you know, we've got sort of a Facebook sign <laughs> going on here, which I just did backwards. So in our away state, we're closed, we're clenched, we're tight. We are not creative in that state because we're, we're closed down. We don't have access to our full brain. We're very reactive. We might learn something immediately. I mean, there is crisis learning that occurs. It has got a short circuit to your memory that if you're bitten by something, you probably are not going back toward that thing again. That's important memory. But other than that, our learning and our memory isn't good in this state. As opposed to when we're in an open state and we're curious and we're learning new things and we can process it into memory, we're, we're much more positively biased and that's a much healthier state to be in. So we are humans and we're amazing, but we are still creatures that have these two states of being that we flip in and out, and we can be in different ones for different things at different times. So when this, this reaction is triggered, it takes about 1,400 chemical reactions. That just sounds exhausting, doesn't it? 1,400 chemical reactions? That's an enormous amount of energy. So when we were talking about balancing energy, and we've just spent 1,400 chemical reactions on a, a nasty email that wasn't even really intended for us, we just wasted some energy, didn't we? So that's what I'd like to keep coming back to that, choosing how we spend it instead of spending it on this. Now, sometimes we're triggered into this and we didn't have any choice. Um, and that's a good thing, too. That keeps us safe. It, it truly does. Have you ever wound up in the next lane of traffic because somebody cut you off and it takes a minute to even realize how you got there? Because you were bopping along thinking about the report you had to give or listening to the radio, and all of a sudden you're in the next lane of traffic. Um, this stuff saves you. It's a good, good thing. And it saves you from the big stuff. It's the problem is it's the same reaction if it is that car cutting you off that could have killed you, as it is to this. Now, it may not be quite as many chemicals, but it's the little stuff day in and day out. It's like the Chinese say death from a thousand paper cuts. 
It's the little stuff constantly draining us that's doing that. It's an interesting point you've raised there, Cindy, very much so, because Overwhelmed 10 is with us today, and they're saying they understand the majority of the audience is probably in the work world, but they've recently retired, and they're finding they're just as stressed because there are other things that are stressing them as well that don't necessarily go on in the work world. Right. Because stress is a trained reaction right. as well. It's an automatic reaction, but we've learned to train it. So if you've had years of working and you're doing this, you're probably out there even seeking that rev that comes from it, the, the adrenaline and the cortisol that comes from it. But it's very interesting to notice it's not, we pin so much of our stress on our situation. And in fact, you can change situations completely and it follows you. So I'm so glad you tuned in, really glad you tuned in to find some ways to enjoy that retirement. <laughs> that, that would be nice. Um, and, and you will, and it will take a while after you retire for some of that revving to settle back down again. It's almost as if somebody's taken away your adrenaline pump and you, you seek it at first. Medically, it is critical to address your stress. Inflammation is responsible for the majority of diseases that we have, including the autoimmune diseases that we've discussed a tiny bit, heart disease, diabetes is a disease of inflammation. All of these diseases occur because our body is too revved up. The immune system is triggered to be doing too much. And we're supposed to have this beautiful balance of being on and having times when we're off and repair and restoration and renewal are done. It's, the, it's this rhythm that is our healthiest rhythm. But we spend all our time up here without the renewal and it does hurt us medically. It does contribute to every disease process out there. So if you're dealing with any of those or you have a family member that is, or it runs in your family, so you're concerned you may, this is the reason to really take this stuff to heart, because you're contributing to your own health by dealing with your stress. How can you be stronger just in the face of stress? How can you be more resilient? What makes you more resilient? So we're going to talk about the favorite thing that I've studied, the human operating system. We're humans. We are a system. We're a an organic system that has requirements to it. We have different kinds of energy that we need to function. And without those, without making sure that we get enough of them or that when we spent them, we replenish them, we are gonna have disease states. We are gonna have mental fatigue or shutting down as one person mentioned, or feeling defeated. All of those things are gonna happen when we're not taking care of the system. In fact, we will die very quickly without oxygen. We will die in a, in a matter of days without water, a matter of weeks without food, a matter of week, probably a week or so without any sleep, you're at risk for death. These are the things we just plain have to have. And we are ignoring this right and left in our world. We have a sleep deprived nation. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with who are so stressed out about something over here. And when I've asked about their just lifestyle habits and found out they aren't sleeping at all, and we started getting them some actual rest, they had the power to deal with the stress. In fact, often the size of what was out here 
as they started to get more sleep, the, the feeling of the size of whatever this was shrank just by getting more sleep because they had renewed their brain, they'd renewed their creativity to deal with it. Their, their ability to put it back in perspective, those things we just talked about. So these things are just critical. Most people I work with, actually most people, it's, it, the majority of people have one area where they're not meeting their requirements. Lifestyle habits, this is the new version of medicine. We now realize that everything is related to the lifestyle we choose, including our happiness, including our effectiveness, our productivity, our ability to, to score in business. It's supported by the lifestyle habits we choose. So let's go into training and pick some good lifestyle habits, the things that make us strong. We know this really, really well already. If you think about sending a little child into a game to play, you've made sure they've eaten, you've made sure they've had rest, you make sure they're in a good mood, you make sure they have all the things that they need to do it, but we don't do it for ourselves. And it's time to do it for ourselves, to nurture ourselves, because this is the training that makes us strong. So as I go through these things, find the things that you maybe could tweak. Maybe you need a little more sleep. Maybe you need to make sure you stay hydrated through the day. You see us all drinking down water here. Hydration's enormous for the brain, for the body. These are the little things you can tweak that'll make a big difference and they're going to make you stronger to deal with the heavy big stuff that we have been discussing like reframing a difficult relationship. Do you know how much easier it is to reframe a difficult relationship when you've had rest? It's so much easier. So let's talk about some of these things that we need. These are the universal needs. We were actually programmed to move. We learn better when we're moving. In fact, they took a group of dyslexic kids and put them on the trampoline for 10 minutes and their reading scores went up. There's a great book called Spark, which took the lower students in this school in the Midwest and put them in a running program in the morning and they wound up outscoring other schools. I mean, just, we were born to move. When we move, we release chemicals that help us create neural pathways. So if we want to fight stress, we've got to make sure we're getting these things in our, in our world, in our day-to-day -day life. And maybe not every day we get everything. Well, hopefully we get oxygen, water, and food, and sleep every day. But <laughs> maybe we don't get all of it every day, but these are the things that are essential to the human operating system. Connection is actually essential. A baby who isn't held and loved dies. It's called failure to thrive. We're the same way. We cannot be an island. We can, we can divorce our entire family and maybe all of our friends and everybody else is in our life. We're not gonna thrive. We just won't. Now, some people at this point will bring up the introvert extrovert question and I think that's sort of an interesting one. I'm an introvert, she says from the stage. <laughs> I truly am. And one of the best definitions I've heard of that is that after I've been with people, I need to go replenish my energy. Whereas a good friend of mine who's an extrovert will leave being with people charged. And I know that about me, so I have to do it. But we all, even the introverts, need connection. 
You have to have that relatedness with some people in your life and hopefully with some purpose in your life. Some, some raison d'etre, why are you here? Play is also critical to the human. When we get too serious, we are not very effective. We learn through play, we, we make new neural connections, different parts of our brain start firing through play. So when we take play out of our life, we're not at our best and we tend to be more stressed. And as we've discussed over and over again, without safety, we have none of this. You know, we, we need to be safe in some way, shape or form. Are we ever completely safe? Of course not. Um, you know, how many of you have had a relative say, you could die crossing the street? You know, we're never completely safe, but we need to feel safe. Which is an important point when you're having some of these difficult conversations that we've been talking about. If you want somebody to open up, you need to create that space of safety for them. You need to create emotional safety to open up. And that's an interesting thing. So these are the basics of what we need. But then we have these advanced operations. And they're the things that you really need. So take a moment thinking about the, the basic operations and write down, jot down one or two that you think you could use a little tweaking on. You could use a little more of it in your life. And share a few of those with me. What's coming up that, that you could maybe tweak? Um, like we were talking about in the break, uh, biofeedback stuff, so focus training. For focus training? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's using your mind, applying it. Yeah. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm like, I haven't practiced yoga in a couple of weeks and my body is just like, mm. so yoga and I'd love a massage. Mm. I've just been thinking about it this whole session. How much <laughs> I want a massage. <laughs> Back my mind. That's a great idea. <laughs> um, and, and actually, thank you for saying that for a moment. Um, I'm, I'm going to sideline for just a moment into the massage. We haven't talked about the 18 billion stress relieving techniques that are out there because we've been talking about understanding what stress really is and how to plug in. And once you see your needs, putting those things in place is important. Touch is a human need. And sometimes we really are carrying the stress in our body. We may feel it as the spinning mind. But our bodies, because of our habits, have taken it. We have postures that we assume under stress. I'm a shoulder person. I love a massage. Oh my God, I love a massage. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Um, but there, sometimes when you've gotten to this level of stress where you really are exhausted and your mind really can't seem to get a handle on it, Sometimes doing the physical thing, getting, getting the tension out of your body physically will help your mental state hugely. They're very tied together. So thank you for bringing that up. And emotional state, I think. Oh, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how we're all connected? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you can get to the emotional and mental state through the physical state. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's through the spiritual state. Sometimes, you know, you need to touch base with what matters and it lets the rest drain out. I, I want everyone to understand that there are really these different areas of entry to make a difference. What else would you all like to tweak? Mm -hmm. um, Erica. Mine is movement and, and 
Uh, so what I'd like to do is start lap swimming again. And for me, that also sort of involves some play because nice. it's like I'm playing rather than yeah. exercising. Um, and also something that I've just tweaked this past week that I want to keep going is uh, I have a small dog and I've gotten really, and he obviously needs to go out on walks, I've gotten really bored walking around my neighborhood. And just this past week, once a day, we've been going to the um, the beach where he can be off leash. Oh, nice! And it's so much better for me to walk and more interesting. And I'm happy to be walking for longer because it's more beautiful. And nice. I'm out. So that's a tweak. You know, that's a good upgrade. Of a walk around yeah. my neighborhood. We'll that's a off. really good upgrade, and you can multi-purpose that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, for, but for me, the beach brings me the bigger picture pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and swimming in particular, the rhythmic, swimming because it's bilateral across the body does some interesting brain things. Um, rhythmic movement is really good for us. It's really good for your brains, as is yoga. I'm, I'm the yoga fan, but, but I try to do the rhythmic. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that because in high school I was on the swim team and I was lap swimming a lot and I realized that as I was lap swimming, I didn't, I didn't worry, I didn't think about all of the other stuff that was going on. Um, and that was not, I didn't mean to do that, it just was what it yeah. was. So. Yeah. Movement, our mind and our bodies are entirely tied together. And movements can reset our mind. Mm. Very fun stuff. So yay, yay you. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and in the next session, part three, we're going to talk about after you've picked some of these things that are need for you, how do you take that and make sure you stay accountable and do it? So that, that will be the fun part of, of putting it into action. How about you, Simon? Uh, more, a little more sleep. More sleep? Good, yeah. Are there any kind of uh, well, I'm sure there are a lot of studies about like kind of better times to go to sleep and that. I mean, I don't know. There's a myth about eight hours and stuff, but is there kind of what what's kind of the most recent on really how much sleep people need? And it is close to seven and a half hours or so. Uh -huh. um, there's a lot coming out on sleep. We have a sleep-deprived nation. Americans, in particular, work harder than any other country, and we have yet to show that that's more effective. Um, and we lose more sleep. And we do really silly things because we put people in positions of huge power on planes, send them around the world, put them behind the wheel, have them make large decisions, all without sleep. And five days in a row of less than five hours sleep, and you test legally drunk. Hmm. We have to sleep. Your brain, it's you know, those neurons come and connect to each other. They dump out chemicals. All those chemicals are made from building blocks. They need to be replenished and restored. And so when we don't do that, we start misfiring. We start making mistakes. We're the drunk when we continue to do that. 24 hours up straight and we start to make very serious mistakes, which calls into question medical training, but, yeah, which they are revamping, but wow. <laughs> so. How much sleep you need, everybody has their own rhythm. And you started to ask, I think, about when to sleep. Yeah, like does it matter if that's, that seven and a half is um, 
12, you know, midnight to 7.30 or 10 to 5.30? It's your rhythm. Or break, you know, you take a nap or it doesn't matter. It's your rhythm, which is um, part of figuring out your rhythm for your basics in general. The science is getting kind of cool now, looking at what we need individually according to our genetics for what we need to eat. And they're starting in on how we need to do other biorhythms and things. But there's a line of coaching, I think, that is really cool that looks at mapping out your day when you have the most energy and what tasks you should do when you have that kind of energy. And when you're your lowest, probably is getting towards your sleep stage. Mm-hmm. Now, the sleep cycle itself, not to get too scientific, but there's, a, there's several different hormones that cycle through, and there's this window of opportunity for going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's not too different for different individuals living in the same light zone. Um, so if you were to tell me that you really do best sleeping from 4 a.m. to 11 a.m., that'd be a tad unusual. But then within the 9 o'clock at night to, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, the big range of are you a night person or a day person, use it to your advantage. Do your best work when you are your best person. Sleep, um, one of the things you can do around sleep is add more of a ritual to it. There's something called sleep hygiene, which is putting ourselves to bed. So we put a little kid to bed. You were all put to bed as little kids, hopefully by somebody who loved you and read you a story and tucked you in and gave you your last sip of water and told you it was nighttime and probably put on the lullaby. That gave your body permission to let go. We need to do that as adults. We don't necessarily have to have a teddy bear story and a sip of water, but wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) But we need to give our bodies the signal, just like I talked about with the meetings, giving your brain the signal that the workday is over giving your body and your mind the signal that it's time to let go and go to sleep as part of sleep hygiene. There are apps you can do for that that will lull you into it. There are apps that will follow your brain waves while you sleep and give you readouts on your best biorhythms. Fascinating stuff. I'm a little myself wary at this point because I've seen how variable the equipment is. I think this is a new science of doing it, but it's coming. There are um, things you can get that will design music that will drive your brain waves to get you to sleep done individually by your brain waves. Oh, yeah, I use an app uh, <clears throat> called Sleep Genius, and it's mm-hmm. pretty good, but it's not individual. Where, yeah. where would you get They're, this? The individual ones are coming. Oh, then. And they will trace your brain waves and create one that was just for you. Uh-huh. Just like they're going to do nutrition that way as well. No, we're in the infancy of that. But we're still at the part where we, kn- we already kind of know some stuff we should do for ourselves to make ourselves healthier, which makes us happier, which makes us less stress. We talked about the fact that if we want to fight stress, if we want less stress, we're going to have to disrupt what we're already thinking about so that we can have this moment of awareness. We can use the dots on the phone, on the computer. We can do the dot method. We can set alarms. We can use some of the apps that are available um, in the bonus material that sound a little alarm or do something, but we've got to disrupt ourselves to develop awareness. So what are some ideas you have that would be a habit you could be, just raise your awareness of how are you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Where are you on the stress scale? 
Um, I'm presently sort of going through a science type textbook mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm loving it because I'm loving the learning but I notice that sometimes it's just overload and too much so I'm thinking that maybe when I get to a certain you know a certain section in that chapter like each section or something I could that could be a trigger for me to take a pause and do a 555 or something like that to be aware of do I need to take a break am I ro rolling that kind of mm -hmm. thing nice do I need to stretch let my eyes go outside or yeah right um, because I think I often go too far when I'm, and I'm not being as efficient or remembering it. And so I think that stopping would be really helpful. You bring up a really good point. We're afraid to stop. We're afraid we'll lose our flow. Mm -hmm. And this sounds like, well, you want me to stop and think about how I feel? You know, I was just reading. I was finally reading. I quit procrastinating. I'm finally <laughs> yeah. reading. And you want me to stop and check in? Mm -hmm. But I do. Yeah. And I want you to develop that trust that if you disrupt it and stop, it's actually going to make you better doing mm -hmm. it. You can try it with pomodoros. That's a great way to do it. Um, I mentioned before, using the, um, and that's not in my app list but because there are multiple Pomodoro apps, but you can set the timer, and when the timer goes off, you check in. And if you're fine, you take the five-minute break and keep going. Mm -hmm. And I like that it's a check-in and not almost like a, mandatory stop. It's a, can I keep going? I don't have to stop now. I'm going to check in with myself and maybe right. I will or maybe I won't. But it's having that awareness and not just a black or white right. stop after 25 minutes. Yeah. So, um, a good, uh, for a lot of, when you're doing a task like reading or you're at the computer, a great one is to stretch while you do that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just to open up and stretch, send some brain signals as well, but I, I, what you're saying is that you've got to interrupt yourself. Definitely. That's where the awareness comes. Mm -hmm. I love that. And trust that that's a good interruption. How about you, Simon? Um, well, I, I have that um, heart math um, um, mm -hmm. coherence thing, so I think um, building in a time to, to do that. Uh, I would love be, that. We, is there, what's your kind of uh, recommendation what, on how often or how amount of time or what Simon is discussing is a little biofeedback tool that you can get um, comes in multiple forms you can get it on your desktop you can get a little handheld one that's probably twice the size of this clicker or not even <coughs> um, and now there's a phone version that you just stick into the phone you stick it on your ear and it's measuring heart rate variability and looking for something called coherence, which is this state where your heart rate is in this lovely curve flow of speeding up and slowing down with your breath. It's coherent. That's a state in which your sympathetic stress system is equally balanced with your parasympathetic. <clears throat> Let me try that one again. Parasympathetic <clears throat> renewal system. So when those are balanced, you really are in a very healthy state of being. And Biofeedback allows you to see if you really made it there. I've done heart math for so long, I can often tell you if I'm there. So I can, I can t usually tell, but the biofeedback is a, is a wonderful, wonderful way to do that. And biofeedback is coming out in all different kinds of apps and things, but it's a way to check in. It's a great way to check in. You can ask yourself if you're present then.
It's a wonderful thing to do. And then you have to build in when to do it, which is what you're asking. When should I do that? Some people set an alarm to do it. Um, the Global Coherence Initiative will definitely ask you. Um, you can just set a pattern. I'm going to do this before I get out of bed. I'm going to do this before I go to sleep. Doing it before you go to sleep improves sleep. Yeah. That's a really nice time to do it. A really nice time to do that sort of function um, before you're going into a meeting. Something that you feel like you may be off center. It's a great time to, to get grounded in center. But again, it's, it's a habit of awareness. And I, I'm, I can tell you that it truly works because I've done it for so long that I, can, I am now more aware of when I'm coherent and when I'm not. Sometimes that's frustrating. <laughs> Erica. Um, what are some, I'm trying to think of ideas around habits of awareness with my procrastination. And I'm having a hard time. Um, so like I could note that I'm procrastinating and do something, but do you have any ideas? You're going to have to check in um, with your list. And you could make yourself a metric of what procrastination you know, give yourself a sort of a scale. Mm. Um, to add, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about metrics and accountability. But for the awareness of whether you're procrastinating, I think you probably already know that. Yeah, it's just. I, I don't think that's an awareness that habit. Happening. I think you, you already know that. This is more an awareness of just how are you. Okay. Um, what you could have an awareness habit around is just a stress metric and what is procrastination contributing to it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I on like a scale that. of one to 10, I feel like a seven right now, and I think procrastination is giving me four of those points. <laughs> I think that articulation would be very powerful for me. Good. Any awareness habits coming from the cyber world? Well, it's interesting. I don't want to retread a ground that we covered in session one, but still Rhiannon is saying, I think the only thing that would stop me, make me stop and be aware, is an alarm to remind me. And I was just replying to them and saying, well, in a way, that's what the dot principle is, isn't mm -hmm. it? Is it? That is a kind of an alarm. You put it around so when you see that dot, you, you, you I have, have it there. Yeah. And I have lots of clients that actually set the cell phone alarm for three times a day. You can, yeah, I mean, it can be in your pocket on vibrate. Um, there is an, one of the apps that I mentioned is Good Habits, which will remind you. Um, and you're exactly right, Rana. You have to be disrupted. You have to be interrupted from what you were doing to develop awareness. If you keep doing that, I promise you, your brain is going to learn a, to know when you're more off-center or not. It really does. Now, I have a question from Angst Puppy, who's been with us actually for all the sessions. And they're saying, what is the difference between resilience and grit? Because grit has been getting a lot of press recently. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how I see grit. <coughs> resilience is being strong. I think of grit. Grit has given multiple connotations lately. Um, I think of grit as having the courage to use your strength. Um, sometimes it's the persistence to barrel through. And sometimes you need some grip in the, grit in the face of something difficult. But that's going to be a whole lot easier if you're practicing stress management and you're practicing the 
parts of that especially that make you more resilient and strong. If you're trying to just grit your way through things and you're overtired, you're undernourished in one capacity, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, you can't keep that up. But, but we sort of have become wimpy about some things, and I think then using the word grit is, is kind of cool to say, you know, I want to I toughen up on this one. But you've got to have the muscles, muscles to be tough. You've got to exercise those muscles. Thanks for asking. You've been, had great questions. <laughs> so let's talk about habits of mindfulness. So awareness was about, you know, how am I in the moment? Mindfulness is about developing a habit of choosing your perspective. How am I going to look through? I love these, these sculptures were in the National Gallery this past year. How, you know, how am I going to frame the picture for myself of what I'm looking at? Am I going to frame it in the story of, oh, woe is me? You know, I can't believe how many bad things have happened to me. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Or am I going to frame it in, wow, here comes another life challenge, and I've made it through several. I'm pretty strong. This one may hurt, but I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. And in the big picture scheme of things, it's okay. So what are some habits you could do that would help you keep your perspective, be more mindful and choose? I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but with the um, garage door opener, I think as I'm waiting for the garage to open, um, that's, I can look at that, how I'm framing things in the perspective. Um, and what I even noticed as I was opening the garage door last night and this morning is not only do I try to get the garage door open as fast as I can, but I actually bend over and get into the garage before the garage door, you know, it's just... It's, is this woman in a hurry? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but um, I think that will be very helpful for me to slow down and, and, and start my day with that mindset perspective. I love that. Um, Kind of like what, when the garage door goes up, what, what are you going to see out there? How are you going to see it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's great. How about you, Simon? So just let me see if I understand. So this is habits of mindfulness uh, you're saying is about how you reframe things? How you want to choose your perspective, the having the power to choose your perspective. Uh-huh. So stuff's going to happen to you all day long. What's a... What's a habit that you could form to be able to put it into the big picture? Well, if I understand in terms of the framing, like if I can look at things, you know, like you said, like, you know, life is a gift, you know, and, and look at every you know, situation as a, as a gift, mm -hmm. you know, and, and see that kind of the opportunity for you know, growth and, you know, greater compassion in yeah. that. Even when sometimes you feel like saying, I've had enough growth. <laughs> it's, you know, stop it already. I'm tired of growing. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's exactly what I mean. This can be as simple as repeating your theme because that brings your perspective back. We talked in the earlier session about taking your values and your strengths and your purpose and your vision and coming up with a word that sort of sums it up for you, that reminds you of the big picture. So that when you start to feel yourself stressed, you just repeat that theme word or phrase 
and it brings you back to your choice. Mm. It gives you the bigger perspective. How about from the online world? Well, Alex in London is asking, do you have uh, suggestions for reframing exercises that you would recommend? Because they are finding this, you know, getting into these habits very, very difficult. Yeah, it, it is difficult. And sometimes there are different ones. I actually, I actually like the physical things. I, you know, when I feel like I need to, putting the hands up and saying, okay, I'm looking at this part of the picture and then taking them apart and saying, what's the bigger part of the picture? Because we tend to live, well, we tend to live like this, <laughs> taking microscopic little pictures of what's going on. So you can just, you know, write the problem, put it down and kind of go open up bigger from it. There's a technique called open focus that can help with that, where you focus on one little thing and, and expand it again. But writing the theme, posting the theme somewhere um, can be very helpful. Mindfulness is the secret <laughs> to really putting your whole life in perspective and being able to keep that curiosity, to keep the calm, to keep that, that state of compassion. I, if it's all feeling quite overwhelming, it can be as simple as we discussed before. Just, you know, when you feel it, you put your hand on your chest and just kind of, hmm. I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay, which says two things, really. It says, yes, I'm okay, and that actually changes your chemistry and your brain waves, but it also says, I'm okay, and this thing is out there. It gives you some distance between what's happening to you and you, and in that space is your ability to choose. So you're, you're allowing that space to be. I hope that helps. So how about some habits of resilience? What are some of the things you can do that would just make you stronger? Because from all of these, I, I hope you're listening, not thinking, oh my gosh, she's asking me to do all of these things. I can't possibly do all of these things. What I'm trying to do is develop a bigger menu. And you just pick one that we're going to talk about. So what are, just, just brainstorm some ideas. What kind of things would make you stronger in the face of stress? Would some of these then be tied to like your self-care? Mm-hmm, exactly. So the, you know, bad, as we've said over and over, bad stuff is going to happen. And if you, we all probably have done enough research to know that when we feel low, when we feel drained and bad stuff happens, it's a whole lot harder to cope with it. Mm -hmm. So what makes us strong to cope? So getting enough sleep? Sleep for sure. Sleep is huge. Having a friend that you can call each week and just debrief of what's going on so that Connection. things were maybe fine, but then when things you know do hit the fan that you've you've got that support. Love in that. Place. Yeah. Hmm. I, I consider those friends anchors. Yes. <laughs> and the um, the tendency, isn't it funny how when we need that most, we sometimes stop doing it? Mm -hmm. So building in some accountability, we'll talk about that, but mm -hmm. building in some accountability to check-ins. That's nice. Mm -hmm. What else makes us just strong in the face of stress? What are some choices? Things that would support physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual strength. Working out uh, regularly. And we've discussed how exercise does it in way, just exercise is phenomenal. It's a drug. Think of it as taking a drug. 
<laughs> and actually, it really is, isn't it? Because some it people is. do actually get too addicted to it. And, and that's, I mean, I know it's a far extreme, right. but that does happen. Actually, yeah. Thank you for saying that, because um, this is something that I deal with a fair amount. Exercise is fabulous, and the vast majority of people do not do enough. There is a subset of people who are addicted to exercise and over-exercise, and they're burning themselves out. That is not supporting stress reduction. Um, becoming anxious when you haven't been able to exercise. Feeling like you can't con control the world because you haven't gotten your workout in. That's getting beyond the healthy state of it. But for most people who are doing healthy exercise, it releases all kinds of renewing chemicals. It makes, it's like, it sprinkles miracle grow on your brain. It's amazing. It increases your circulation, which is good for everywhere in your body. So it's making you stronger. But thank you for bringing up the addicted side of it, because there are some people who are, you know, squeezing it in in insane hours and quite anxious if they can't. Yeah, I don't have that issue. <laughs> I am still waiting for that endorphin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, in terms of exercise, it, when you say that term, is there like one? Is there like a certain, you know, it's like anaerobic or aerobic or weightlifting, like a certain type that's better and then like a certain amount, you know, in terms of in a certain time of day that... So I've been a doctor for almost 30 years. I cannot tell you how many theories we have been through. Diet theories and exercise theories since I started. The world of science has been very slow to catch up in the physiology of this and the science is still fairly new. I remember the whole period where we were supposed to do all aerobics and we weren't supposed to do weightlifting. Now, weightlifting really, and it doesn't, I'm going to quickly change that. Doing something that's weight bearing is, and strength training is good for your heart as well. I think the jury is still completely out. The, the real thing is to make sure you're moving. Just make sure you're moving. I know people who do yoga, and I'm going to say the word just yoga, and really, I love when people come into yoga class who think that it's going to be all relaxation and this is an easy thing. Same for Qigong. They think, oh, this is going to be a lightweight thing and the sweat's pouring off of them. <laughs> I think there are multiple forms of exercise and we don't know the answer to exactly what's right. But something where you're, you're using cardiovascular workout and something where you're actually using your muscles. The combination is good. It can be dancing. I mean, it doesn't have to be I go to the gym. It can be I go out and dance with my friends. That's huge exercise. And it's multi-purpose exercise because you're with friends and you're laughing usually. Well, at least our friends are when we dance. But <laughs> it doesn't have to be the gym. It doesn't have to be something you dread. Whereas my mother calls it the dreadmill. <laughs> Good question, yeah. Um, when I just sort of had a light bulb moment with this too is just the phrase habits of resilience um, helps flip my mindset a little bit on things. So for example, um, meal prep is paramount to resilience for me. Um, because if I don't do meal prep, then I either don't eat or I eat something that may trigger things going on in my body and so so that to me is a habit of resili resilience mm -hmm. and thinking of it as a habit of resilience that this is 
going to make my life so much easier just having that and I knew that right that's clear right. to me but for me the phrase habits of resilience tagging that to that habit and even with exercise this is a habit of resilience that's pretty cool it's not this drudgery thing that I have to do so I really appreciate having that nice nice I I, I, I love the way you put that because as we talked about the book that I'm going to write on the should diet, um, really these things feed us. It is about nourishing you, and it's about making you strong. And you know what? It feels good to be strong. Mm -hmm. It really feels good to be strong. Don't you love that feeling when you, when you nail a challenge? Yeah. It's a great feeling, whether it's a mental, emotional, or physical, or even spiritual challenge. It feels good when you can do it. That's that is actually peak performance, and there's a high from that. Yeah. It's a wonderful feeling, so, so thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through picking one of these things so that you can work with a worksheet that we'll go through and figure out, okay, I wanna do this, but how do I do it? How do I not make this like every other New Year's resolution that is totally undone in two months? How do I feel empowered to do it? So what we're gonna go through is, is deciding if you've picked a habit that's gonna work for you. So keep brainstorming those. Keep kind of mulling over your mind and maybe jot down a page of them and look at them and say, you know, okay, these are all the things I'd ideally like to do. Um, I've got you know, 24 habits here, but which one of them says to me, okay, I could start there. I could actually do that. I think I want to do that. That's where we're gonna start. In the next session, we're going to move into why that's so hard. Because I think it's really important to understand where we sabotage ourselves. Be because it's really no fun to try this and fail, is it? I mean, how many of you all have tried a habit and failed? <laughs> Multiple times. Um, I, you know, it's not fun because that just tells my inner critic, I'm right. You know, I told her she couldn't do it. You know, I get tired of that. You know, I want to feel that that positive, strong, resilient, forceful feeling. And when you fail, you lose it. And you you really just nail yourself. So I want to go through how we self-sabotage so that we can proactively not self-sabotage. And we'll be doing that. So I want to go through, um, end this session with a bit of a guided visualization again. So are there any questions just in general about the whole process of habits or? We had a question actually, this sort of came up earlier and it's re relating to mindfulness. It actually came from Alex who's joining us from London. They're saying, is it possible to define mindfulness? Is it all just about engaging your frontal lobe? Is that what it's about? I think there are, it's a way overused term. Thank you for asking Alex and watch me try and come up with one. <laughs> I think that is a hard one. It is a, it's a very overused term. To me, this is mindfulness according to Cindy, which may be just what that's worth on paper. <laughs> to me, it's having the space of choice of what you want your mind to be full of. It's that keeping things in mind, keeping the perspective in mind, keeping your choice in mind. It can be as simple as having the pause between something happening to you and choosing a response. 
choosing a response as opposed to just mindlessly reacting. Because when we mindlessly react is when we really get ourselves into trouble. Because I, I hope it's sort of come clear as we've talked about the brain, when we mindlessly react, we're reacting usually from our lower brain, more of our survival system, which is based in emotions, and that's based in stories and trauma and all this stuff, you know, because we were picked on in fifth grade, then when this person disses us in public, we blurt out the wrong thing. Mindfulness to me is realizing that you have this space of choice between what's happening and choosing your response whether it's a behavior or a thought, you have the, this space of choice. So thank you for asking that. Anything else from? Yes, Darcy G's got an interesting question that um, I think a lot of people identify with. They're saying, you know, a lot of stresses in our, li in our life is a drip, 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 drip. It's very, very slow. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that we've talked about, you know, you can, you, with a bigger event or a one-time event, you can address it straight on. How, what's your advice for those sort of dripping things that are always there that we're perhaps not even aware of causing Get a, a plumber. Stress? <laughs> <laughs> that You're would help. so, yeah, <laughs> you are so right. And that's why... That's why I love to address this work and start with just a small habit. If your habit could stop one tiny leak, you're going to save gallons. It's a great analogy. If you stop one little leak, that's, the stress is going to happen every day. And it's going to be the, the same little tiny things that happen. Where you have the power is to change your energy demand for that. How much energy are you going to spend on the drip, drip, drip? Or are you going to be able to put it in perspective? Are you going to be able to turn off some of the drips because you realize you're repeating the same one over and over and you just need to fix that drip? Or are you going to find a new place to reframe it, to be more mindful about it so that you're not spending as much energy on it? Or are you going to just get some more sleep so that you don't even notice it as much? Kind of nice tools to put in place. But, but it is. It's the death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, the big stuff truly matters. But when we can stop all the tiny leaks, we're strong enough to handle the big stuff. So that's a great question. Yeah, Erica. Um, do you have any tips or tools as to, like the commenter had said, sometimes you don't even know that there's these little drips happening. So to sort of heighten our awareness, to start taking stock of maybe a lot of those smaller things that we're not even aware of. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, really, um, the more you check in during the day, mm -hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, the more you're gonna start to see it. You'll say, you know, wow, I'm really disconnected right now. And in fact, the drip is because I haven't been in touch with the people I need to be in. Mm touch with on a regular basis. So you will, the more you build that awareness, the more you're going to start to see where your energy is going. Start with you and your energy. And then the second question, when we do the 555, the first question is, how am I physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? The second question is, what's needed here? Mm. In that question, you're going to start to get your answers. And you're going to realize, you know, every time I walk into this building and I see Mo sitting there with his, you know, black cloud like Linus, not Linus, pig pen, with a cloud of negative energy around it. I, I, del I let some mm -hmm. of mine get sucked out. You realize that you have a choice there. Mm -hmm. 
and you'll start to notice it more. So, you know, I've artificially teased these things into awareness and mindfulness and habits of resilience, but in fact, it's all really enmeshed. And you start by picking out something and it's gonna ping into others. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so, so you will build that awareness. So even as Simon's doing the heart math biofeedback, um, one of the things I noticed when I first did it was I built my skill of appreciation. So I wasn't just physically changing my body as I did this. And my brain, I happen to know because I've seen it hooked up, my brain waves change when I do the heart math work. But I'm also changing my perspective that I choose because I continually do that. It's a perspective exercise as well. When you keep coming up with something you appreciate, it really changes which color glasses you're wearing. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about before, we all have unfunny glasses. Can we change the lenses a little? Right. <laughs> which yeah. back to Alex is another analogy that sometimes works for people. When you feel like you can't change your perspective, you actually, you know, think about being an ophthalmologist and you get to click the different, you know, is one or two better, you know, and you're always sitting there kind of going, I don't know, <laughs> you know, go back again. But, but you have the ability to realize, you know, I, I've, got, I've got the foggy ones on. I, mm. I want to get some clearer ones. Please flip the lenses. Great. No, good question. So we're going to do a guided visualization at this yes. point. That sounds good. Okay, everybody ready? I hope so. <laughs> early day, just get comfortable in your seat with your feet on the ground. And I'm going to, this is a longer version of what you can do just very briefly. The brief version is that, that's the heart math version where you become aware of your breathing and you become aware of your breath around your heart area and pull to mind a positive emotion and hold it there. That's the quick version and it's written down in here and you can do that. I'm going to do a little bit longer one just for fun for everybody to enjoy it. So go ahead and close your eyes and start by taking a nice cleansing breath in and out and kind of pull that breath into all the cobwebs of your body and then let it go out again. And now just come to a nice slow, easy breath, noticing the coolness of the breath as it comes in your nostrils and following your breath with your mind down to the bottom of your lungs. You may put a hand on your belly. And as your diaphragm pushes down, it's going to push your belly contents out just a little bit. And they should just rise and fall, no effort. Just allow it to come in, but with your mind on it. You know, you've been breathing all morning, hopefully. <laughs> this time you're just observing it. No judgment, just observing it and following it. And a thousand different thoughts may come to mind, but you're just observing. And now slide your hand up to your heart area and become aware of the breath coming in and out of this area. Just filling naturally and softly and allowing it to go out. Each breath filling the heart area. You can picture all that oxygen getting to your heart and being pumped around. It's a good thing. You can picture it softening, that oxygen going out to wherever it needs to be. 
And now bring to mind something that gives you an inner happy smile. It could be a place, being on the beach, a mountaintop, snuggled in your bed. It can be a person, someone who really you appreciate, love. It can be your dog, who's always happy, even when everybody else isn't. It can be a thing, something that particularly makes you smile. But just bring it to mind and all the senses of it, sight, sound, smell, feel. Let it just soak your mind for a moment, all the details. Now bring your awareness to the area under your hand. How does that feel, that deep inner appreciation, kind of inner smile and glow? And allow each breath to fill that in your heart area, expanding it. And as you breathe out, it can spread a little. Allow that deep appreciation to grow with each breath. Happy heart. And that deep happiness, that the real joy, the joy of gratitude and appreciation. And just feeling that soak in. With the next couple of exhales, maybe send that to an area in your body that could use some softening and some positive feeling. Maybe it's your shoulders that have been tight or your hips from sitting. Maybe there's something in particular that hurts. Send it a little bit of that nice flow of appreciation and positive feeling. Maybe it's your mind. And just feel that start to flow there as you exhale. And with your next inhale and exhale, send some of that feeling out to someone in the world who needs it. Someone who could really benefit from a little of that positive feeling, a shift. Someone who'd like some caring and deep appreciation. And now send a little bit back to yourself for having taken the time to investigate what's gonna make you stronger and happier and less stressed and healthier. Appreciate yourself for doing that. And know that this power is yours always. To just bring yourself to this positive feeling and let it spread. Let it nourish every cell. And when you're ready, come back to your own pace of breathing and open your eyes and enjoy the feeling. Let it just spread through you and hold you. I hope that felt good. Isn't it amazing that we sit here totally stressed out and we have the power to shift our emotions Yes, somebody's guiding us, and you can get all kinds of guiding podcasts. And um, one of the apps that I use, I think it's Insight Timer, has all kinds of little visualizations in there. Sometimes we're so busy-brained, we, we can't do it ourselves. We need someone to guide us. We need someone to help coax our busy brain down that path. But it's always available. 
and it's last time I checked free. It's free to feel good. And you can do this even when you know what's hitting the fan. You can. It doesn't mean that you changed what's happening, but you just got stronger. So enjoy that and practice it. It's really fun to do. So any comments? It's definitely helping people in the chat room as well. Um, I've, I've actually noticed it. They're obviously taking the exercise because they Because they stop chatting. Absolutely. That's a good thing. I wonder how they can chat and do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so, and uh, Darcy was saying, thank you very much for explaining how mindfulness is. Um, and Limus is saying, you know, is mindfulness self-control in effect, um, based on what you were saying? There is the, uh, yeah, it is. It is. And to me, it's interesting how that has worked into my leadership work. Our ultimate control is to control how we think. And that's not the good, I'm, let me rephrase that. That's not the bad kind of control of, you know, overanalyzing and being anxious about everything. It's the good kind of control of choice, of choosing what you want to think. And isn't that our ultimate freedom? Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you, so much juice when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here, whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well, and the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.